to another episode of Cafeteria Christian. This is a podcast for people who believe in God, sometimes in Jesus, sometimes not in either, sometimes in all of the above. I'm just Christian curious. And uh, I am Natalia Turfa, one of your co-hosts. Um, this is I am sad and happy to say, I don't know, it's a, it's a bittersweet day. It's the last day of just me uh, as your main co-host. I have, I have a guest today. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Emmy will be back with us very, very soon. I'm so excited to have her back off of leave. And I just want to say again to all of you cafeterians, thank you so much for all the grace you've given, all our guests, and um, ability for Emmy to take all this time with her family. Uh, you know, Charlie was born in August, at the end of August, and it is October, and she got to have all this time. So thank you so much for the grace and care you've shown her and her new little family. And again, thank you to all our guests who've been here with us. Um, also remember that our other two, you know, sometimes co-hosts, so they're they're doing their own thing, so who knows, but Jesse Ross says hi. He's, we're trying to get on his calendar uh, for scheduling. Uh, he's hopefully, hopefully he'll be with us again soon. And Nora is on tour right now. So if you have not bought her book yet, Bad Vibes Only, go do that. Uh, if you are in a city where she's coming for a book signing or a TTFA, that's her podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, um, tour, go do that. Go get tickets, go to the book signing, buy her book, do all the things, uh, support her in that way. Uh, it would be so awesome if her book would make the New York Times bestseller list. I know she always jokes about how she has never, four books, never been on the, she's like, I'm a four-time, not New York Times bestseller. But maybe this is the time. And if not, it's fine too. But let's do our own Cafeteria Christian bump for Nora's book too. So, um, yeah. So we do have a guest today. Uh, so uh, with us is Angela Denker. Angela's been with us one time, kind of a long time ago. I feel like a really long time ago. Uh, if I go, I could go way back and maybe I'll have Matthew put that episode in the show notes, but we'll talk a little bit about it again today. Um, but Angela Denker is a clergy colleague of mine. She's an ELCA pastor. She also is an author and uh, she's written Red State Christian. She's a journalist. I'll let her say more about that, but Angela, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, it's fun to be back. I think, you know, it may have been like two years ago, but it's pandemic time, so who knows? <laughs> Truly, who knows? Yeah, so maybe uh, what I didn't cover or recover, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so started my career as a sports writer, uh, as a hockey beat writer, and then left that to... Uh, at the time, just go to seminary, didn't necessarily think I'd go into the parish, but I've been pastoring uh, for about nine, ten years now, and original edition of Red State Christians came out 2019, spent 2018 traveling the country reporting on uh, right-wing Christianity, Trumpism, the 2016 election, ancient history now, so we recently <laughs> put out... <laughs> it really feels like such a long time ago. I was just wide-eyed and naive and <laughs> joyful and young. Um, yeah. And you're like, I was so, so dumb. So, so dumb. <laughs> so happy, carefree. <laughs> uh, and... Yeah, and since then, 2019, of course, we've had COVID, we've had George Floyd, we've had the insurrection, all of these events, you know, heavily influenced by the topics of my book. So put out a new edition of Red State Christians in August of 2022, so just a few months ago, 
And as we were discussing just before the podcast, you know, things continue to happen every day in the area of Christian nationalism. And also, you know, in in my personal work, I serve a role, a Lutheran church in a county where over two thirds of people voted for Trump, not only in 2016, but again in 2020. I wanted to go back for more. Um, (laughs) So, you know, have been witnessing that as a role pastor in a role uh, context. And also, you know, within my own family, we've really, a lot of the new content in Red State Christian surrounds uh, the effects of Christian nationalism in my own family and, you know, walking through the the COVID death of my brother-in-law. Um, so it's been, yeah, definitely a heavy time. A lot, a lot. Yeah, so what are some, so maybe let's, let's just start super basic what is Christian nationalism? <laughs> because, mm. because I feel like that is being thrown around enough now that it's almost like we don't know what it means anymore. <laughs> Do you know? Like we've used it so much or for so much, so many different kinds of behavior or belief systems. That's kind of hard to say what it, when you say somebody's a Christian nationalist or you talk about Christian nationalism being on the rise, what what is that even? Well, <laughs> I don't even know anymore. I'm so glad you asked because Thank you. no, <laughs> I uh, I recently uh, started a Substack, and so every Friday I do a news Substack, and um, part of that is a Christian nationalism corner, and so part of that I actually developed my own definition, so I'm gonna nice. read it um, because I for me, you know, there's so many research on, researchers on Christian nationalism right now, and a lot of them come at it from a historical perspective, sociological a sociological perspective, um, I really want to, like, and in the interest of your show as well, like, in a theological perspective, like, how does how we view God um, impact Christian nationalism, and how is Christian nationalism, in some in some ways, I think it's a theology. So Christian nationalism is a version of the idolatrous theology of glory, so ultimately it's idolatry, um, which replaces the genuine worship of God with worship of a particular version of America often rooted in a revisionist history of white people in the 1950s before the civil rights movement or the women's movement. And again, so here, Christian nationalism is a global movement, but I'm talking specifically about what's happening in the U.S. Um, We can talk about the global iterations, particularly in Europe, too. Uh, Let's see. Christian nationalism supports a violent takeover of government and the imposition of fundamentalist Christian beliefs on all people. I'm talking Handmaid's Tale. Um, Christian nationalism relies on a theological argument that equates American military sacrifice with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It suggests that Christians are entitled to wealth and power in contrast to Jesus' theology of the cross, which reminds Christians that they too have to carry their cross just as our crucified Savior did. So that's that's my definition. There's all kinds of other ways to talk about it, but that's like a specifically theological take on it. Uh, So a reminder... uh... Theology is just a study of God for people who maybe want to take just even one step further mm-hmm. out that mm-hmm. we're doing, it is, it is just talking about, thinking about learning about God, the study of God. So to say, to take a theological perspective of Christian nationalism is to say like we're studying God in relation to this. I think that's really, it is very relevant for this group, of course, mm-hmm. um, it's so interesting. Literally, there are so many parts of even just your definition where I'm like, oh gosh, it just makes me want to run and hide from it. <laughs> Is that the right 
thing to say. I don't know. It just makes me want to be like... We all need a bunker. Yeah. It just makes me want to... And that's unhelpful, right? To <laughs> to pretend it's not happening yeah. or pretend it's not there yeah. is is my instinct and it is the least helpful <laughs> instinct of, of the many. <laughs> um, so... But I don't think it's unfamiliar for most of us, right? We all have come across, whether in our family life, um, public life, online life, whatever these are, we've come across people who are leaning into this quite a bit, right? And I think there's lots of people in this community, in with cafeterians, who have left churches that have leaned into... Trumpism or nationalism in a way that maybe as they've left it, they're realizing now more outside of it what it was, what it was doing uh, or what it was even maybe. It's hard to right. see it when you're in it, right? It's right. kind of hard to see when you're in it. But I'm wondering if you could maybe, maybe chat a little bit about, I, I think people are kind of scared of the word idolatry, but I really like that that's that's kind of what you leaned towards in this, that it is it is replacing worship of God with worship of fill in the blank, right? We do this all the time. I mean, good gosh. I You could say, talk to me about Turkish TV. I am <laughs> yeah. like, I love it a lot. I preach the gospel of Turkish television all the time, wherever I can. Love it. Um, and so we do this all the time, right? With our favorite brands, with our favorite products, with our favorite all the things, we do this all the time. So uh, idolatry is not like, this is the only way we're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a thing to be mm-hmm. careful of what our worship is towards and it is really interesting to say this kind of idolatry move like I still worship God and I do also like Turkish television but like to say to say like I've replaced it that's really uh, a powerful I don't know that's a powerful definition I think I really I really like that that somehow worship of country comes from you know, country first, which we hear a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, country first, country first. Um, but you're like, what? what is that but idolatry? Oof, that's hard when you've been sort of taught the opposite for your life. Like, if you're, if you're not putting country first, what are you doing? That's right. really interesting. Right. I mean, yeah, we're, we've, you know, the roots of this, and that's why so many historians are so important right now, like the roots of this are long. We've been teaching school kids to pledge allegiance to a flag. Yeah, I remember when I, um, a long time ago when I started at my current congregation, I was not the I was not the pastor there yet, and a former pastor asked us to do the Pledge of Allegiance on on um, the Fourth of July, and I just like my whole body cringed. I was like, "Does anybody else see a problem with this? Like in church saying we're pledging allegiance to something else?" I just felt like, "Oh my gosh," and I I felt like, you know. Am I taking crazy pills? You know, I just was like, am I the only one? Is this, does this feel weird to anybody else? And I just think, well, I think it's easiest to see with like a flag, right? It's kind of easiest to see with that, but it's all over the place. It's not just about, maybe it's the most physical presence of that. It's like how we revere the flag over the cross or over whatever. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's so powerful about like the, the community that you guys have gathered at Cafeteria Christian because it is, I feel like it's with, it is that community of people internally feeling like, does anyone else feel this way? 
And, yes. you know, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, Amen. That's and it's so good to have each other to be like, me too. Oh my gosh, me yes. too. Okay, thank goodness. Woo, yeah. Yes. But yes. When and you're in a church or a community, you've been raised, if you're in a rural, like you are, where you're mm-hmm. in a rural community mm-hmm. where this is the way it is, you do feel like there isn't anybody else who is feeling a little internally the way you are. Mm-hmm. Is this just me? Does anybody else feel weird about this? Mm-hmm. And you just kind of have to go along with it yeah. to save your community, to like to keep your relationships, right? Like that's what you're choosing then. It's not always that people are choosing worshiping a flag. They're choosing yeah. to stay in connection with community that happens to be doing this stuff. That's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and so the effect of that has is now like coming home to roost, you know, of, like right. a lot of this stuff started out pretty harmless and it's been really harnessed now. Like there is a greater end to just like the worship of the flag and the greater end. That's the end of all, all idolatry, all, you know, is power and money. Um, and that's, that's where the end leads to at the end of this. So it's ultimately not even about America. It's about power and money. And we're seeing that too. Um, you know, Christian nationalism is, just such a part of um, even the abortion debate. And so this recent story about Herschel Walker and that he has, you know, funded an abortion that he claims, oh, I don't know this woman. Well, it turns out she has another one of his children that he now has admitted is, uh, you know, legitimately his child. So of course he does know her. Um, And he's raised a ton of money since that news has come out. And he had a prayer service held for him at a Baptist church in Georgia uh so where he talked about being saved by grace mm-hmm. i was like good mm-hmm. gosh luther mm-hmm. is rolling over in his grave right now this is oh there's oh. you know this question of like who is redemption for and who is it not for who gets to be redeemed who doesn't get to be redeemed and it's the people it, it's the end of power it's the end of money you know um there was a uh, i can't dana um can't remember her last name but prominent right-wing commentator, you know, saying like, I don't care how many abortions he had. If he, I think it was, if he aborted, you know, hundreds of baby eagles, she said, data Loesch, uh, you know, I just want control of the house. I just want control of Congress. It, it, it's all about power. And that's been the thrust of the right-wing Christian movement, you know, through this, through the eighties, through the nineties of this search for power, they couldn't quite get power. And now they've got the Supreme court. And so it's this, um, real hunger for power. And then, and then there's that, the rest of the people like you're talking about in, in my congregation and in places where a lot of people do serve in the military and places where, you know, people have, you know, lived through the wreckage of people who've served in the military, Vietnam War veterans, you know, all these things uh, that have created this circumstance. And these people aren't getting any of the power necessarily, um, but they're still a part of this movement. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so scary. Cause you, you, it's so hard to watch a message of something like, like being saved by grace, right? Mm-hmm. Be twisted mm-hmm. to be twisted to, to use, to be used to gain, gain the power, like gain more power, right? Mm-hmm. Where yes, you are absolutely saved by grace, but, but you don't need to be in a position of power. <laughs> like that's fine. I've got, God still loves you. Great, good, uh, thank goodness for grace. Also, 
uh, I don't, it's just so hard to, to see it manipulated in such a way. A grace that I feel like is really important and significant to be manipulated like it is currently being used is just so, so, so gross. <laughs> I, find it, I find it so gross. Um, and hard to stomach. And it, and it feels a lot like it is this exact thing. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Does anybody else see this? That makes people walk away from church because they're like, if that's what church is, if church is, for, is grace for Herschel Walker, then I don't want to be a part of that kind of thing. I get it. I get it. And so I don't know how to necessarily be or stay a person of faith when this is the kind of faith that is being put out into the world right now. Where you're like, Christian nationalism, I don't, I, I'm not in. I'm not in, but it is everywhere. And in some ways, I worry maybe, I don't know if you have the same fear, you know, everybody needs a bunker. Maybe you do have the same fear as me, but like that, that Christian and Christian nationalism are just going to be interchangeable at some point. And that is really scary because I don't, I don't believe there is anything in the way of Christ that right. fits with Christian nationalism, but it feels like they're becoming more and more People are intertwining Christianity with Christian nationalism in a way that I think is going to be really hard. I feel I'm worried it's going to be hard to untangle in such a way where even now when you're like, oh, I'm not that kind of Christian, uh, it feels even more yeah. like I don't even want to say I'm I'm Christian because I'm like, oh, gosh, I have to really unpack what that means. Yeah, I mean, I think we're there. You know, I think we're kind of oh, there. <laughs> but the, <No>! you know. <laughs> You're like, it's not going to happen. It has happened. <laughs> yeah, I think we're there. But I mean, the good news is, too, we've, we've been here before. You know, that's what caused the Reformation in some ways. Like, Christian had come to mean a Catholic church that was selling indulgences, a Catholic church that was the largest landowner, a Catholic church where, you know, priests were having all these affairs and raping women. Um so Christian as a term, um, and maybe this is like my journalist cynicism showing from the past, but I've always been, you know, suspicious of that term. And I think it's, Jesus doesn't care about that term, you know, um, that was a term that we created. Um, so I think we are there and I think it is, you know, continuing, but also what I want to emphasize too, um. I interviewed Diana Butler Bass a couple of weeks ago when she was in Minneapolis and I asked her, are you more concerned with Christian nationalism about democracy or about the gospel? And, you know, she just unequivocally was like, I'm way more concerned about democracy um, because, you know, the gospel has been through this before the gospel, nothing, mm -hmm. you know, it's our, the witness of Jesus is going to go on. And I think there's a, there's a necessary shrinking that's happening right now. And I used to like, hate it in, in seminary when people were like, oh, you know, small churches are really the faithful ones. And I was like so frustrated because I wanted to have this triumphalist view that, you know, we could have these huge congregations and we could have all this power and influence. Um, and I think there's been a right sizing of Christianity. And, you know, we've talked about before in mainland denominations, how much money and power is still, you know, and wrapped up in like a capitalist worldview that's in denominationalism still happening. 
So I think there's a right sizing happening and, you know, there, there is a place for communities like this where, where there's a rejecting, there's a deconstructing happening of so many of these layers of Christianity that have piled up and maybe there's new ways that we define ourselves and that talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, but I do think we're definitely there in the diminution of the term and the, you know, the suspicion about any kind of Christian witness. And at the same time, you know, seeing the work that as you know, we have all these natural disasters, climate disasters, like there, there is a role for religious institutions when it comes to massing up great amounts of money and service for aid. So yeah, um, I was, <laughs> can I remember who said this? No, was it? It might have been so uh, in these in in this day of of um, you know want soon to be pastor interviews yet that oh, yeah. I had yesterday. Yeah. Um, we bring in seminary professors for the middle interview. You know, for it's it, it, for for you. Angela knows what I'm talking about. But there's three interviews you have on this path to becoming a pastor. So the middle one. We bring in one of your professors to sort of speak to your theological education, and one of the professors. Uh, in one of my panels, I wrote, I took notes while he was talking, because that's how you know, like, good gosh. Uh, and he, he said that the Lutheran theology, we have a powerful social ethic in our theology of the two kingdoms um, that can hold up against what's happening in terms of systemic inequalities or systems injustice, um, systems of, I mean, I've been really struck by the idea that we live in such a meritocracy. This has been my like thing lately of of like Jesus is not not a part of this meritocracy that the rest of us are and how to get out of it feels like a mm. like a good work for me currently just personally. <laughs> I don't need to make everybody do it, but but just the idea that like we need to get better or higher or yeah. more power or more money, like all of those things. You're sort of saying the same thing and this yeah. this is when I believe in you know, messages coming from external, like all the same kind of message. It's the same thing. You're saying this, this professor, um, Dr. Hansen, he just was like, the two kingdom theology is a theology that can hold up against what's happening right now. Like it, That's can, so it can interesting. Cause I am like so suspicious of two kingdom theory and I, always Oh, that's wanna, so interesting. <laughs> I always want to like push, you know, cause Bonhoeffer really critiqued two kingdom theory and he said, this is the kind of so I, I don't think that's what Professor Hansen is saying, but I always just immediately yeah. go to like this idea where so many like white moderate Lutherans in Germany, in the US have taken refuge in king, two kingdom theory and said, you know, well, our, this is the earthly kingdom. And so we need to just listen to the governmental authorities. And so we're going to just go along with whatever is easiest to go along with. So I would love, maybe you should have us back on and we can have a debate about two kingdom theory. <laughs> that would be so interesting. <laughs> but I just like, I'm always, my antenna goes right up because I'm like, oh, you know, I just, I think Bonhoeffer so critiqued that to say like, no, God is God of everything. God calls us into gospel motivated resistance and action in the face of empire in the world today. Like, but you know, I'm sure you're going to explain to me how that's not what he was saying. I just like, I'm super <laughs> suspicious of it. No, I think you're right to be suspicious of it. And I think it's interesting to wonder, 
Yeah, maybe we'll, this is maybe a t- it's maybe a different it's maybe a different podcast. We'll yes. do a whole maybe we'll do a whole two kingdoms debate. We will. You, it's gonna come, you guys. I'll I'll even schedule it with Emmy here because Emmy will be Ooh, yeah. full full in. We will put it on the calendar. But yeah, I I I sort of wonder. I sort of wonder. I th- I and maybe it's because maybe I like that. I like that because I am a white Christian moderate and I just want to like hide in it. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm like, yes, okay, thank you, Dr. Hansen. That sounds great. I mean, um, guilty as charged. But that's probably, not, that's probably not what he was saying. But yes, no. I just think, um, but I do think it's not just Lutherans either, right? If, mm-hmm. if we read scripture, our scripture, we have, there is a powerful ethic in there of, not power, not yes. money, yes, yes, yes. not, I mean, it's like all of the systems, the whole thing is, is, is just over and over again, the story of flipping the system that is, that is holding people captive. And, uh, and I just think there's so much to be said about recognizing Christian nationalism as the system that is currently holding us captive, right? And so how do we make moves, make steps to break to break free from that? Cuz that is our story of people of faith is a story of um of freedom, right? Is is recognizing how there's freedom in God and freedom in Christ. And yeah. so what system is holding us captive and how do we need to be broken free from that? And buying into Christian nationalism is easy. Yeah. Or at least being like, well, it's not that bad yet. And you're like, no, it is that bad. Um, yeah. So I don't know what, what are some, so in your, in your second edition, what are some new insights you have or some new experiences you've had that have really moved you um, along this, you know, here's where we were, here's where we are, here's where we're going. <laughs> yeah. Trajectory. Yeah. Uh, give me a, give me a few of your most recent insights and steps maybe to, I don't know, move us, move us into where we are. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, the biggest shift you can see is even in the subtitle. And I think your listeners will relate to like where I was in 2019, where I am in 2022, and I, I didn't pick the initial subtitle, but the initial subtitle was understanding the voters who elected Donald Trump. And I came into it, you know, again, a little bit of naivety, but this sense that like, okay, I'm going to open this discussion. We're going to have a conversation. Um, we're going to listen to each other. And I was hopeful that conservatives would read the book. So even as I like collected endorsements and was putting the book forward, I was, I was hopeful that you know, it would at least create some space for a conversation with conservatives, with Republicans. Overwhelmingly, I mean, that certainly happened in a minority of cases. It did not happen, not just with my book, but in general, obviously, we have not seen a sort of come to Jesus moment from the GOP and a rejection of Trumpism, a rejection of Christian nationalism. Instead, we've seen an embrace of it. So the new subtitle is um, A Journey into White Christian Nationalism and the Wreckage It Leaves Behind. And, you know, I feel like I'm finally crawling out of that space, but I, I personally lived amidst that wreckage, um, you know, watching, um, walking through my brother-in-law died at age 43. He was young. He had no prior conditions. He contracted Delta, um, strand of COVID in Southwestern Missouri, uh, you know, in June of 
of 2021 and suffered on an ECMO machine for months um, before ultimately making the decision to, you know, remove life support when it became clear he was not going to be able to get a lung transplant. Um, but amidst his suffering, there was all these messages coming in about first, you know, was COVID even real? Was COVID just a flu? Okay, you know, we don't trust the vaccines. Okay, Trump is going to defeat COVID. Okay, we're going to be mad at China. You know, all of these messages that really compounded our grief as a family that really compounded his suffering because it made it not only was he dying of a new disease that was striking the globe, but it was it was a disease and suffering that had been compounded by misinformation, by lies, and by people who were making money off of like alternative cures, off of conspiracy theories. Um, so that was a really intense journey for me. And also, you know, as a pastor, like walking through um, the Sunday after the insurrection, driving from my home in Southwest Minneapolis to uh, McLeod County in Minnesota, where over two thirds of people voted for Trump in 2020. Um, and I, in the past, was featured in an article in Breitbart. And so I experienced a lot of um, right-wing threats from, from Christians, from people who said they were Christians, uh, a lot of violence, stuff about my kids. And that was from like a two minute segment on CNN and an article in Breitbart. And as I watched the instruction, as I saw people using Christian signs and symbols and coupled with um, political violence, coupled with religious violence, it was almost like a flashback for me. And then I'm driving to my church to a place where I've always like felt safe, you know, rural Minnesota. And I felt this intense fear as I saw that people had watched those same scenes that I had watched at the Capitol and they were still flying their Trump flags. They still had their Trump signs out. And some of the, you know, some of its people I knew. Um, and so I got the sense that they thought that anyone who was threatened by that religious violence was not someone who they knew was not a real person to them. And so that Sunday, you know, I shared with them how I had been personally a victim of the same sort of religious violence that was happening at the Capitol on January 6th. And as a result, you know, we had some good conversations in church. And I also had like a couple of families leave, one of whom I'd been really close to and had walked through them, you know, cancer with them. They had young kids. Um, so I don't know. Should I keep going about the wreckage? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think you're, uh, I, it just sucks because your story, <laughs> I mean, I'm so sorry. And your story is so awful and it's so not, it's not, I mean, it is unique because it's yours, right. but also it's not unique because there is just so much wreckage, you know, I yes. think. And we haven't, we haven't wanted to admit that as a country. Like that was, that's been even the appeal of Trumpism in some ways. Like let's not admit the wreckage of slavery. Let's not admit the wreckage of racial violence. Let's not admit the, the wreckage of LGBTQ violence. Let's just keep charging forward into some sort of imaginary eternal prosperity. Um, so that's, you know, part of it, the new book is like an accounting of the wreckage. And that's that propensity maybe to understand, you know, that after death comes resurrection. So we have to, you know, encounter this death. But also I want to say that, um, you know, in my brother-in-law's death, I did even despite a lot of like disagreements within our family and a lot of political division within our family, 
I did have the honor of presiding at his funeral. I did have the honor of like being the pastor at his bedside. Um, so there has been this mysterious way to remain in relationship and still speak the truth. And I think that's, you know, the goal for those of us who have, who live in family division, who live in church division. Um, but it certainly hasn't yeah. been easy. Yeah, there's um, there's this not often talked about. I don't know, maybe we don't love it that much. It's about snakes, so I don't think it's my favorite story in scripture either. But <laughs> um, where where all of the Israelites are being just terrorized by snakes, it does not sound like a great like a great. It doesn't sound fun to me. Snakes are not my favorite. Um, and Moses puts a snake up on a stake oh, and yeah, says, you have to yeah. look at what's killing you yeah. before it can, you can be cured, right? And Jesus refers to that in the Gospels as well. And he's like, you have to look at what's killing you, right? And he talks about how Jesus on the cross, Paul says that, sorry, not Jesus. Paul references the death of Christ as, as a second kind of yeah. same thing, yeah, right? Yeah. You look at the cross, see the, the sin that kills you. Yeah. Um, in order to be saved from it. And I just think that is sort of what you're asking, right? Or you're sort of what you're saying, like, look at, absolutely. admit the wreckage is sort of saying like, you cannot heal from a thing you can't, you won't acknowledge, right? Like you can't be like, oh, this bone's not broken. You know, I'm just going to keep walking it'll be fine it'll be fine it'll be fine um I say this as a person wearing a walking boot right now because I have a a break in (laughs) a break in my foot and so you're like I I tried to ignore it I tried to pretend it wasn't there I tried to keep doing things I was doing (laughs) and my body was like hard pass this is hurting worse and it's messing things up more and I feel like it is it is in our faith to say no no look look at the thing that's killing you yeah. Look at the thing that's hurting you. Look at the thing that's that's affecting your abundant life that Christ desires for you, that God wants for you. Look at what's preventing that. The only way you can live is by seeing it, letting it die, mm-hmm. and rising to something new. And we are like, oh, I'd rather not think, you know. And I'm as guilty as that as anybody. I'm like, I do not want to imagine Christian nationalism as as prevalent as it currently is. I'd like to pretend everybody is just like my happy little Minneapolis <laughs> progressive congregation <laughs> that where most of the people who d- disagreed with me have left because they couldn't, they didn't want to <laughs> listen to me talk about affirmation of queer people and uh, genderless. Uh, genderless identity of God and you know it's fine so so they've left already and I just assume like the rest of the country is like that and that is just that's just not true it's just not true it's just not reality and pretending my bubble is only the only reality is is not uh is not <laughs> it's still not abundant life. Pretending it's not there is not abundant life. Well, and you're creating you're creating a space that's important. You're creating community that's important. And also, like, um, I love, you know, that you referenced that story because it so relates to, okay, you know, the movement towards mega churches, right? And the movement towards the church yeah. growth movement. What did, what was one of the first things they did when they built these new churches that were going to concentrate power and money in the hands of fewer and fewer pastors, celebrity pastors, they got rid of the crosses in the congregations. Yes, they sure did. You know, 
So it's like, what do we want to not look at? We're going to look at lights, like smoke, all these things, but we're going to get rid of the crosses. We're going to get rid of the crucifixes. We're going to get rid of all the things that remind us that we worship a savior who was crucified. For speaking truth to power, right? And upending systems and setting captives free. It's like (laughs) threatening the empire, threatening. Yeah. (laughs) Threatening like the very um, joining between religious power and governmental power. You know, it's just, it's, it is. I mean, and I think that's a place of hope. It's like Jesus has been here before. We've been here before. And this is not the first time this has ever happened. It's just, I think in America, sometimes we always think like, we're the first, you know, <laughs> like this is. <laughs> and everybody else just rolls their, all of history rolls their eyes and is like, oh, you guys. Yeah. You guys over there. But I think like your community is, you know, communities like yours are so important. And um, I was, it's such a silly thing, but like recently we had the Minnesota State Fair and it was mostly little congregations that are just like struggling along that were um, parking lots for like free buses to the state fair. And I was just thinking like, where would we have these parking lots if all these churches were just poof gone? Um, Like little random things like that, you know, the church polling places. Um, Churches Mm -hmm. still provide a lot of necessary community functions and I can be one of those first people that's just like let's you know get rid of everything like we can't trust anything (laughs) but there's just these little weird places where little churches provide community functions and it's we have so few places anymore where we touch borders with people who are different than us and people who live in different communities than we do where we've become so siloed and like even if it's a state fair parking lot that's bringing together people from south minneapolis people from northeast people from far out suburbs people from rural minnesota like coming together to ride this bus together this state fair um i don't know i guess i found like some hope in that (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm just really finding hope a lot right now in these churches who are being, who are taking huge, brave risks with their buildings, which hold so much um, history and sort of, they're sort of like us, you know, sacred cow that you just don't mess with who are doing really beautiful things by saying, you know, there's um, there's a church here in Minneapolis I'm obsessed with, Calvary in, in South Minneapolis, um, just a block south of where George Floyd was killed. Uh, they have sold their building to a low-income housing company who is going to use everything but the sanctuary and just redo the whole place for low-income housing. Um, And then they will keep worshiping in the sanctuary once a week, but they have have given the space of their church to what is needed most in that community, which is housing. And I just was like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. And it feels so much like the gospel that I can hardly handle it, right? That I don't know. I just feel like there are such beautiful things we can do. And, and and not every church, I'm not saying every church has to sell their building, though maybe, who knows. But like, just to say there are such brave, brave things we can do in service to the gospel that feel like the 
anti-Christian nationalism that are a little beacon of hope for people, even if it is just using your parking lot for, you know, the state fair. But it just feels like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there, there are for sure days where I just feel like I'd like to just go into that bunker and never come out. I do feel like that. Uh, plenty. Um, and I also... I hold hope in what you said. The gospel's been here before, right? Jesus has been here before. The church has been through this already. And what scares us is not knowing what it will look like on the other side. But that doesn't mean it won't be anything because the gospel will survive. And that is hard. And we were never we were never supposed to win at this game. And that's been hard for me, like, personally. I mean, even you talk about, like, the New York Times bestseller list. And I'm like, shoot, you know, like, not that I thought my book was going to make that, but, like, you want that commercial success. And everyone should buy Nora's book. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's just, like, recognizing that the goal of commercial success, um, the way that it's set up right now in the U.S., even, you know, publishing, for example, like a lot of the books that make that list, I mean, Jared Kushner, they make that list because organizations have promised to buy a certain number of books. And it's such, um, so many of the things that like, and you, you know, kids of the nineties, kids of the eighties, like we were told like, reach for that brass ring, you're going to get it. Like you can do it. Um, all of that has become so tainted. And so it's like that process of, you know, your church is never maybe going to be like, lauded for the things it does people are never going to feel like it's succeeded even if it is like maybe six maybe living out according to the gospel is going to feel like you're never succeeding (laughs) yeah and it doesn't that suck because I just think like that is so what we want Uh and it sets the leadership of those organizations pastors you know council members all these leaders of congregations or organizations it sets us up for just being lightning rods for <laughs> for all those people who want who want us to look a certain successful way, right? Yeah. Success looks like money in the offering plate and butts in the seats, and that is success. And you're like, or it looks like paying off medical debt for people and like running a campaign for that, or you know, it just feels like what is success? I don't know. I think one of the things I love about Cafeteria Christian, this community, is that you know we don't we're not attached to a building, and so we just have resources that aren't trying to fund anything. We're we're just you know like this community. Maybe guys, we could do something really cool with it. We should talk about that, cafeterians. But like, we could make a campaign for reducing medical debt and and do it as a community and see what we could come up with. I just feel like there's so many things. When you're when you are people of faith who are willing to hold up the mirror and say what is hurting us and then actively work against that is like really beautiful. I don't know, it's really beautiful. I find hope in that, which hope is kinda of hard to find sometimes these days. So Yeah. I'm glad we got there. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah, the think start was wasn't so happen. great for me. <laughs> Yeah, it was not so great. You're like, no, we're there, Natalia. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> you know it, though. Um, <laughs> you knew it already. Oh, my. I knew it already. It's true. I just wanted I wanted you to tell me it wasn't. We weren't there yet, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, 
Okay, so we got to hope. That's good. Maybe this is a good good place for up. So, Ange- <laughs> Angela, where can people find you, your information, all that stuff? Where can they find you? We'll link your Substack and your book in the show notes. So if people want to follow those or buy your book, we'll have that there. But any other place they can find you on the things? Yeah, um, I'm really excited about the Substack. I'm doing a Sunday edition sort of that deals with the Bible. I'm doing Friday edition that's news. So I'm kind of covering my pastor journalist bases. And then um, Tuesdays, I just do a general post for everybody kind of looking at um, what's happening in everyday life from this sort of um, religious, non-religious journalist perspective. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot at Angela underscore Danker. Um, I don't know. We'll see if Elon Musk ruins Twitter, but for the, for the time being, I'm there. Uh, and AngelaDanker.com is a great way to reach out if you want to. I do some events at churches around sort of creating space for dialogue, um, looking at the uh, the hard places and moving to hope. We can do it all in an hour together. So <laughs> it's, fun. it's always fun to do that. And that's a great way. Like that gives me hope for the local church too. I've gone to so many local churches that are like creating these spaces and people always surprise me that are like willing to engage. And I think they're going to be the one who's going to start yelling. And, you know, it rarely goes that way. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Um, oh my gosh. Angela, thank you. I'm just so happy you were here and I can't, we, we had sort of a loose plan, but we didn't really stick with it. And also it was great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation and I, I will, we're going to find a date for our, uh, two kingdoms debate with Emmy. (laughs) Uh, and we'll put that on the calendar and it'll be, we'll have it. We'll have it. You guys will be great. I'm going to have to study for that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Emmy will not. She'll just like whip whip out some random factoid about, but it's fine. And we will, uh, we will, we will do that in the future. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say? No, just uh, glad to be together, albeit virtually, with all of you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for being here, everybody. um, Follow Angela on all the things. Go buy her book. uh, Give her a little, give her a little cafeteria Christian bump. That would be great. And. Remember, just uh, for cafeterians, follow us on all the things. Christian at gmail is our email if you want to send us a question or a, a suggestion for a future episode. Uh, we still have a Patreon page, and cafeterians, you guys have been so great about supporting us, and we uh, we have been um, so thankful that people are still joining that Patreon community. Even in the break, we haven't been as good about... Emmy has really... She had really taken on some of the lead on that, and I have not in her absence. So thank you so much for your grace and still joining us, even though she's not sending video and pictures and all the things on there as usual. So that'll come back, I promise. And uh, But if you want to do that, it's patreon.com slash Christian. You can support us that way. And don't forget, if you're following us on Instagram at cafeteriachristian, uh, we've been doing mini sermons on Sunday mornings, and that is just a delight. It's been really fun to do. That's at 8:30 Central. You can watch it anytime if you want to, but we tend to stick on the lectionary and and just do a little quick sermon. Emmy is better at quick than I am, but it's still just fun to chat through a text for the Sunday. So if you want to do that, you can join us live or later at Cafeteria Christian on Instagram. And I think that's it. I think that's it. So. Cafeterians, thank you so much for being with us. Angela, thank you so much for being with us. And remember, with faith, with life, with with politics, with all the things, just do what we do here. Take what you like and leave the rest. Thank you.
Bye, everyone.